to uh, clean out the the table, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know what happened, bro. I was like I spilled <laughs> I spilled everything on the table that was I was trying wow. to clean up, <laughs> and then I ended up you know with a mop and some napkins, and it's just it's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've been there, brother. Yeah, bro. Well, welcome back to Black Mental Health. And to the audience, uh, this is a conversation about um, a candid conversation between two black men about um, our experiences and how they apply to black mental health. And um, tonight's discussion was about prison. And um, we'd like to continue um, on to a second segment and uh, bring up a different aspect of the prison life and even your civilian life, your neutral life, or your gangster life. Something tonight that we say may trigger something for your self-improvement, and that is our hope here, rather than to glorify gangsterism or prison life. Uh, We'd like to encourage you to think differently even though we are in the, the ghetto trap, as it, as it were, uh, we'd like you to f- figure out how to get out of this trap. Because statistically, uh, percentage-wise, uh, one out of every four, this is in the 90s, they were saying one out of every four black men will be incarcerated. Yeah. Or... Uh, um, on probation or parole. Thank you. That and, was and that, and that and that and that was me, bro. From the time I was sixteen or seventeen to the day I graduated from college, I was on some type of probation or parole. In mm-hmm. fact, in 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 fact, um, the judge told me that, um my um, parole probation will be terminated if and when I graduated, right? Mm -hmm. So um, one of the last charges that I caught um, uh, and I was facing the judge and I was um, I must have ran across this maybe twice in my junior, senior year of of college. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the judge was like um, I'm going to sentence you to um, three years of prison, but I am going to suspend the three years of prison, give you three years of probation, and that three years of probation um, will be um, suspended based on your one year left that you have of college. So the day that you graduate from college, you know, if you graduate in the one year that you have left, then um, your probation uh, will end. So what? So what ended up happening was, while I was, it was crazy. While I was in uh, facing this thirty-year prison sentence, mm-hmm. I had already caught a charge prior to that thirty-year charge, mm-hmm. right? And all this was about drugs 
right? Mm-hmm. So I had already caught one charge. Mm-hmm. Then I caught this other charge, mm-hmm. right? While I was on, I was on um, bail, mm-hmm. and I caught this thirty-year charge while I was on bail. Wow! And so when I came home from the thirty-year charge, I then had to face this other charge, mm-hmm. right? And so, man, I, I, I didn't even remember this, but it's coming up while I'm talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I had to face that charge when I when I when I got out. Um, and the judge again gave me leniency. Well, I can't say the first judge gave me leniency. The, the jury found me not guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up coming home. But the second judge gave me leniency and suspending the three years that he could have gave me mm-hmm. and given me three years probation, but suspending the three years pro uh suspending the three year prison sentence, giving me three years probation. And that being contingent upon me graduating, if I graduated in that one year, then my probation would end in that one year. So the day that I graduated from from um, undergrad, my um, bachelor's degree was the day that my um, probation ended, and I hadn't been on probation or parole since that time. Praise be to Allah. Yeah. That is uh, a, a rush. Indeed. Um, that that's that's just rough even hearing that brother um the situations that we find ourselves in uh, the um this system in america is a trap and that's and that's the thing bro you know here's 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 a cycle that i was in as a young teenager right coming up Mm -hmm. and and as a teenager in my 20s right i i felt like i was in a bubble right but I did not know how to get out of that bubble. Yeah. I, I kept getting locked up. I kept getting arrested, you know, and, and, and they were things, you know, some drug charges, but, you know, and things like that. But um, a lot of my other charges were violent charges, like fighting and attempted murder and, you know, assault with a deadly weapon. And, you know, all, you know, there were a lot of things like that. But but that was the world that I was growing up in. And yeah. and and. I did not know how to escape that world, mm. right? I, I kept getting locked up and I kept saying, I don't want to come back here. I ain't coming back here. But I did not know how to not to, right? Mm. Because what happened was, even when I got out of jail, I went back to my environment, right? right. And there was, no, there was no escaping the environment. So without right. being able to escape the environment, how could I escape not going back to jail? And I couldn't. And right. I could not figure out how to get out of that 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 circle mm-hmm. you know and, and for most of During us cycle. yeah and for most of us probably 99% 95% of us can't get out of that circle we can't get out of that environment luckily for me you know I was in college mm-hmm. which, which allowed me to escape the environment and the world that I grew up around to some degree Mm-hmm. Right, but the only problem was I was broke. Right, mm-hmm. I was in college, but I was broke. So me, me being broke was taking me back to where I was, mm-hmm. and and where where I grew up. And so then I was still trying to, you know, have money, you know, make mm-hmm. money or whatever. So it kept taking me back into that circular environment, mm-hmm. and I had the most difficult time trying to get out of that environment. 
um, and out of that world. And it, it just kept sucking me in. Wow. Kept sucking me in and sucking me in and sucking me in. Um, it, you know, whether it was someone going to try to disrespect me or me being broke. Mm. You know, and when you poor, man, you, you, it, I don't know how you avoid that. It's just difficult right. to do. Your right? hierarchy, hierarchy of needs kicks in. Yeah. You need yeah. that food, clothing, and shelter. Yeah. And then yeah. from there, you need to build on that. Yeah. You get the basic. Yeah. And yeah. Um, unfortunately, the, the offerings or trappings that we have in our community as black men is the streets can pay you. The streets can give you a job. And especially if you grow up in that mentality, it's it's harder and harder to escape Mm -hmm. that reality. And Mm -hmm. uh, which brings us to our point tonight. We're at the nine minute mark. It is 3.52 a.m. on a Friday night, Uh, actually Saturday morning. Um, What I wanted to talk about now is the reform that had to take place for you and for us, whether we be in prison or in the streets, the reform that we had to accept in our minds in order to get out of that alive was that we had to remain neutral to some things that would trigger us before, like disrespect, like... um, is a chance to party and that party turn into incarceration because there's going to be a fight that breaks out. There's going to be something that happens at that party that gets you arrested or killed. But we had to, in order to escape the, um, the dangers, we had to reform our own minds and say, you know what? I'm just going to skip that for tonight. I'm going to read a book tonight. I'm going to study. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to work out instead of um, I'm, instead of uh, contributing to this society. I no longer want to be a part of this society. I see a better reality that I'm reaching for. Yeah, so that that's going to be a very lonely world, mm. right? Um, that's probably not going to be a world that most people are going to I- embrace, even if they try it. It's probably not going to last for most people. Um, so I just want to be realistic. Uh, most most people aren't aren't going to make it. Most people aren't aren't going to do that, right? Mm. Um, you 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 have to determine whether or not you want to be the exception or you want to be the rule. Mm. Right. And so that means of all of your friends, you're, you're going to be all oddball out. Mm. Most most of you guys aren't going to do that. Mm. You know, particularly if you were somebody like me who like who was like the most popular guy in the group. Mm. Right. And so for you to bow out and say, oh, I'm going to be a family man. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not chasing <laughs> women, you know. I ain't um, going to the club. I ain't gonna... now. Everybody is looking to you because you're the life of the party. Right. <laughs> and so, if you're the life of the party, and you are going to do something different, that's going to be very, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so, I want to be honest with any potential potential listener, and I want to say to them, you know, 
you ain't gonna make it, mm. right? And I want to say that because I want to challenge you to make me a liar, right? Right? Make make me a liar because mm. I'm gonna tell you you ain't gonna make it. Mm. You know that's that's my hard, you know, it, it, you know, meet you in your face confrontation, um, psychological advice is I'm gonna tell you you ain't gonna make it. Now, prove prove to me I'm a liar. Right. Which brings me to a point about my father. He was a strict disciplinarian, and uh, we don't engage in those type of activities today. But here's the lesson from it. My father would give me these serious beatings, and he would say to me after the beating, you're still doing what I asked you to do, but now you're doing it with a ass whooping up. <laughs> to to make you do it, but um, you're still gonna have to do what I asked you to do. You could have avoided the ass with In jail, it's the same thing. They have a mentality for whatever we don't like about it. It works for them in that survival mentality because everybody in here has to follow some rule. And we may have to abuse you to get the things that we need out of jail. The same thing works in life in the streets. These streets are going to tell you what you have to do. If you want to remain neutral, if you want to remain gangster, all you have choices. Yeah, but 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 I think what's not fair about what I just heard you say as it relates to your father, um, because I I, the, the, I don't like to compare the streets to prison because there are different rules. That's a, it's it's two different worlds, right? right? And, and let me finish out... the analogy though. Okay, the same thing applies for working a job that you don't like. Here, take this job. And take the money that you make from this job to save up for college. Now, I don't want to do that. I'm too. I'm going to go this route instead. And then you wind up in a situation, maybe not incarcerated, but your life is, is not the best life that you hope for because you wouldn't humble yourself. And so I, I definitely don't want to um, <laughs> say that they're the same things. What I want to say is that there's a principle in, a principle in all of this that, that, analog, that the analogy is the humility that we have to have to remain in a lane that's going to go forward. Okay. Uh, well, let me uh, I'm, make sure that you have completed your thought. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. All right, so, so for me, the difference is this, right? Um, I think the difference is from a psychological perspective um, and if I'm starting with you and your dad mm -hmm. right um, and again I want to remove that situation with you and your dad um, from prison jail and freedom mm -hmm. those are two different analysis to me in my head I, I see that very differently mm -hmm. because when I think about 
the conversation that your dad was having with you and disciplining you, it takes me to um, two different psychological theories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in jail, these psychological theories don't work. They they don't apply, right? Right. That's a that's a whole different. Right. That's that's a different whole another made up mentality. Um, but if I'm gonna deal with this story of what you told me about you and your dad, then I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna deal with two different theories, two different psychologists, right? So there was Sigmund Freud, who had the id, the ego, and the super ego, right? And then there was Eric Byrne, who came behind him, and he wanted to, um, in, in Freud's id, ego, and super ego, he, with, with the id, it was a pleasure principle. Um, with the ego in the middle was a moral principle or the reality principle. Um, and the super ego was the moral principle, I think. And so Eric Byrne came along and he uh, had what was called transactional analysis. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to simplify Freud's id, ego, and superego because people had problems with Freud's id, ego, and superego because he felt like it was they, they felt like it was too sexual, psychosexual, right? So he wanted to simplify that, and he called the id, the ego, and the superego the child, the adult, and the parent, right? Mm-hmm. And so in Freud's id, ego, and superego, um, the id, the first pleasure principle was more like the juvenile, I just want to have fun, I just want to have sex, I want to be irresponsible, you know, blah, blah, blah. The superego was like, no, you can't have fun, you can't have sex, you can't be irresponsible. And the ego was in the middle balancing out those two. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, what Eric Byrne did in transactional analysis, he said, okay, the id, the ego, superego, I get it, but let me make it more simple for people, right? And he said, okay, so we have the child, right, which is the id. We have the ego, which is the adult. And then we have the parent, which is a superego. Are you following what I'm saying thus far? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So he he's replacing the id, the ego, the superego with the um, child, adult, and the parent, right? And so let me just have a conversation with you, right? And I want you to understand. I want you to be, try to follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So and what he's saying in transactional analysis, remember, I'm using the word transactional analysis because these are transactions, right? right. I, so what Eric Byrne was saying was that we as adults, have a child ego state, we have an adult ego state, and we have a parent ego state, right? But as adults, we have we have all of those. We have both the child, the parent, and the adult. Mm. But what happens is in our communication style, sometimes we end up responding. Let's say I'm having a conversation with you right now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's adult to adult, right? Brother Douglas you know, the brother Wayne, right? It's a dope conversation. But let's say you have a conversation or you you have a conversation with your ex-wife, right? Mm-hmm. And you are responding in your adult state and you want some accountability for your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. 
So you're talking to her in a responsible way, right? And you're saying, well, I think we need to have a conversation with her. I think we need to blah, 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 hold her accountable, blah, blah, blah. And your wife, again, this is hypothetical, says, I don't really care about that. I ain't dealing with that, blah, 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 blah. So she starts to respond to you in a child ego state. Even though she's an adult, she's responding to you, your adult conversation in a child response, in a child ego state, mm-hmm. right? That is what Eric Brown would call a cross-transactional analysis, mm-hmm. right? So again, the, the, the name of his theory was transactional analysis. So he's saying that now these two adults, one is responding in adult transaction and another one is responding in a child transaction, mm-hmm. right? So he says when that happens, there's a cross-transaction mm-hmm. because you have an adult talking to an adult, but one of them is responding to them in a child response, mm-hmm. right? So another example is you'll be responsible, right? You're paying the bills, blah, 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 or you're giving your wife the money to pay the bills, but she isn't, mm-hmm. right? But she wants to have sex with you, right? Or she wants to be intimate. But you as the adult are looking at her in this child-like manner because she's not being responsible. So you don't feel the physical connection because you're seeing her in this childlike manner, right? And so it's hard for you to connect with her on an adult-adult relations so that you can meet her where you could be sexually you know, attracted to her, but you can't because you're looking at her as a juvenile. Mm. Is that making sense? Is anything yes, I'm saying making sense? Yes, sir. Okay, so the same thing what happens in the street, right? So you have two grown men, right, that are trying to communicate, but they can't. Because one of them is saying, oh, man, you know, excuse me, I bumped you, I'm sorry. And one is saying, man, you just stepped on my Nikes. So he's responding in his, in his child ego state where one person is trying to, you know, be a parent or an adult and saying, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, didn't mean to do that. But this person can't get over that child thing that childlike mentality because that's where they're responding from mm-hmm. right and and so so anyway so to bring what i'm saying to a close is you know when you talked to me earlier about your father and you your father was responding to you what sound like to me from an adult perspective and was warning you from a child to respond in that adult perspective and because you couldn't you were being punished right Mm-hmm. from an adult perspective because you couldn't respond in, in, in the adult way that he wanted you to respond. Now, he didn't understand this, right? And most people don't understand it because it's, it's, this is all like what Freud said was happening in your unconscious. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you don't know that this is happening, but it's, it's happening. So your father is not understanding that, wow, I'm treating this kid like an adult. Mm-hmm. And I want this kid to respond in an adult-like manner, but he's not. So I'm going to punish him, mm. right? And that's what was happening. Now, you couldn't understand that because you were actually a child and was responding in a child response, but you were being penalized as an adult by your parent. Right. Right? So it may have caused some resentment and, and you know all those other things, but your father did not understand that he was talking to you as an adult, wanting you to respond as an adult, and when you didn't, you were being penalized for that. And so 
I'm saying in life, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. Right? Whether, you know, we're parents and we're talking to our kids, you know, and, and we're saying, I'm going to hold you responsible. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Because you need to be, you know, responding in X, Y, Z. Not understanding that really we are responding, you know, or acting in our adult and our parent perspective, you know, and might not be aware where our child is responding or where another adult might be responding and not understanding that there's a cross transactional analysis happening. Therefore, a fight is about to happen. Right. And the way I got out of um, my father's beating was to ultimately realize that if I look at it as a punishment, there is going to be a continuous punishment. But if I look at it as um, a way to avoid pain by doing the things that are necessary so that I wouldn't get yelled at, then there would be a better outcome for me. So I couldn't change my father. All I could do was change me, which brings us back to our point in our first segment about the... um, Autoplastic and alloplastic. Exactly. There's a lot of things that you can't change about prison. There's a lot of things that you can't change about street life. But the one thing that you can change in your black mental health is the way that you perform in these situations. Because these situations uh, are, for whatever reason, not in your control. The only thing that's in your control, black man, is the way you think about it. And if you think that uh, prison and is going to reform you, you've already been defeated. It's not going to reform you. The only thing that prison does is if you're of the mentality that you don't ever want to go back, that you have to reform the way you're thinking, which means that you're going to have to say that what is occurring to me is not normal. And a lot of us are not prepared to say that this is not normal. Like, you mean to tell me that partying and fucking bitches and uh, doing this and that and having my own will imposed on society is not real? <laughs> no, it's not. No, no it's it, it advocation. No, it is real. It's, it's, it's real yeah, for you. It's real what for I'm you. Tr- what I'm trying it, to get across to the people that are listening is that whatever you think is real that is not going to contribute to your later life it being um, not only successful but livable. Yeah, yeah, and and all and all I'm saying is is that if you believe that that's real, that's real, right? <laughs> M- meaning that if you believe, you know, me chasing women, me doing X, Y, Z, you ain't thinking five, ten years down down the line, right? Right? You thinking about here now, and five, ten, ten years down the line, this will still be the same. Mm. That's that's what's not realistic, but mm. that's how you think, right? You know, and and, and I I have friends, man. Some of the, I mean, I respect to this day that was mm. the coolest people that I ever knew growing up, <laughs> and and what they have told me at this age is, 
they have they never thought that things would have changed. Mm. And I thought, you know, looking at them, thinking that they were so intelligent, that there was no way in the world they was not thinking five, ten years down the line. Mm. Uh, it was hard for me to believe that at 20, they thought they were still going to be the same person at 40. Mm. That that was mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it has a negative effect on you the rest of your life. I, I can attest to that. Number one testimonial. Um, things didn't change. And, and I was in the positive environment. So it's not the environment that you're in. It's the mentality of how you're going to move going forward. And that is what I am now realizing through these conversations with you. Um, not not necessarily about my trying to change my environment, which would be lovely as an activist. I would love to change my environment, but what I need to focus on is the and change, and that is me. And we are at the twenty nine minute mark in Black Mental Health. And I'll give you the last word, my brother. Well, okay. So I, I don't know. Um, so outside of the conversations that you and I have had since we started this podcast, mm-hmm. are you saying that these are not conversations that you've had with um, friends that you hang out with? Things that I, I didn't hear the last part. So are you saying uh, since we started this podcast, um, are these not conversations that you have had with um, friends that you have hung out with since since I've left New York? Nah. Never. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. I it was, it was, to believe. It was always about changing the community or changing the, the narrative of the whole. But what I'm realizing now is that the whole <laughs> may not make it. <laughs> and what I need to do is that the real power comes from self-empowerment and working that outward to the community. It's not that we're giving up on the community, but how can you help the community Okay. Like, how are you going to help a drowning man if you stay in the water? Eventually, both of you are going to drown. You, if you're going to help him, you got to find a way out of that water. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know, because I'm always thinking, you know, it, it kind of like what I tell my kids. I mean, you know. If you want to know what your tomorrow look like, you look at your today. Because mm. your today is your reflective of tomorrow. So mm. if you're not doing anything today, you ain't got to worry about what your tomorrow going to look like. It's going to look like what today look like. Which is what I didn't understand about my father's disciplining. But now I get that part as I became an adult. But um, even now, I'm still learning things, even through these conversations with you. Hmm. Hmm. And 
interesting, bro. I, I that's interesting because I don't know. For me, again, even though I've always been like the life of the party or been like the most popular in my group, mm. um, or my groups, um, and and again, man, I mean, I I, I mean, I come from the mud, bro. I come from. <laughs> You know, food stamps and welfare, the streets, drugs, and uh, you you name it. But when I decide that this is what I need to do, my mind state changes. My mind state changes in that, okay, if you want to be a doctor, then you have to think like a doctor. What would a doctor be doing at this time? That's a very powerful thing that most people take for granted which is probably the biggest reason that people return to prison or people return to their ordinary subpar life or living because they don't focus on the future and what it's going to look like or what it should look like. They are so in the now. We, We, brother, were so in the now of changing our reality in the mosque or with Al Sharpton, that it was a day-to-day struggle. There was no plan for the future. But I look now, look at uh, Reverend Al. He has a nice, comfortable position because at some point he had to stop thinking of this struggle as punishment but as a way to get out of his struggle and then to people this way. Here, uh, let me give you a hand by showing you an example of what life should be like, how a successful life should look like. We have yeah. to be that example. Yeah, and, and he's that example. I mean, right. the dude went from being a fat, mm. you know, um, joker, Mm. With gold chains and mm. you know a, a, a bonded hairstyle, you know, to this dude looks like I mean he's a slim, mm-hmm. you know, suit wearing, mm. you know, he ain't wearing jogging suits and mm. gold chains. And ironically, you know what they always say? Oh, he sold out. No, he didn't. He changed his mentality. He smartened up. <laughs> Sold out my ass. He's smart enough. You 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 stay in 2021 coming yeah. outside overweight with, that with gold, with gold and, chains. Talking and see about where you, it gets you. Yeah, talking about you keeping it real. Yeah, you keeping it real stupid. And you do that same thing with prison and see where it puts you. That's why the recidivism rate is 80%, bro. Because you going back. And that is what we tried to break down to this audience tonight. I hope somebody, one body, is at least listening to Black Mental Health. We are at the 35-minute mark, brother. And uh, I'd like to continue, but uh, we're just going to keep these uh, podcasts to 30 minutes. And hopefully, some of this sinks in. And I thank you for joining me again this week. And we'll be back next week. For another inter inshallah, for another interesting episode of Black Mental Health. Thank you again, brother. Yep. Peace to the universe. Peace to the God.